What makes a church a welcoming church? I want you to think about that, that question for a moment. What makes a church a welcoming church? A few weeks ago, uh, the world was captivated by what happened after a football game. Now, I know what you're thinking. I thought football just started back. You know, college football just started back. The NFL is about to start back. You know, it's, it's, it's that time of year, and a lot of us, including myself, are excited about that. But a few weeks ago, there was a different kind of football game. It's what the rest of the world calls football, but we call soccer. And you may remember the World Cup was going on, and it was after a World Cup soccer game that the world kind of was shocked uh, at what happened after this game. I don't know if you saw the story, but uh, the Japanese soccer team beat the Colombian soccer team, and that's something the Japanese had never done before. They'd never beaten a South American uh, soccer team before, but they did that day. They beat them two to one. And of course, the Japanese fans, they went crazy. They were excited. They were high-fiving and, and doing what you do when you celebrate a big victory like that. And then, and then something happened they didn't expect, and it, and it made the headlines. In fact, here's the headline. It went something like, like this. Japanese soccer fans applauded for cleaning up stadium after World Cup win. What happened was, as soon as they got done celebrating, celebrating the big win, all these Japanese fans all pulled out blue trash bags that they had brought to the game, and they went seat to seat, section to section, row to row, cleaning up, picking up all the trash from the stadium so that the stadium would be ready for the next soccer game and the next group of fans that were walking in. And everybody was stunned. I don't know about you. I've been to a lot of baseball games and basketball games and, and American football games. I haven't been to a whole lot of soccer games, but I've, I've never seen this before. And I, I've done this. I don't know if you've done this. I'll just confess this, I guess, sin at this moment in time that I am the person that buys the peanuts and eats them and leaves the shells everywhere and spits the sunflower seeds and gets my drink and my hot dog. And you know what you do at a game when you're done with all of that? You just stick the trash up under your seat, right? And you may take a souvenir cup home. Some of you are better than people than me. That's why, you know, I'm here this morning confessing you're out there not. But that's what I've done. And, and I'll, be, I'll be completely honest with you. I have wondered, how many people does it take to clean up a stadium after the game? Because there is so much trash all over the place and all those shells and all those spilled drinks. Yet if you come to the game the next day, the stadium, the, the seats, they're pristine. And I've often wondered, how, you know, how, do, how long does that take? How many people does that take? How late do they stay up at night cleaning up after a night game for it to be ready for the next group? In Japan, apparently that's not a problem. Because this is the way they raise their kids. This is what they teach them. That you always leave the place as good as or better than you found it. And so at this World Cup game, they, they weren't doing something different. They were just doing what they always do. They pulled out their trash bags that they had all brought. And they go around and they clean up the mess. And, and it, it made such an impact that it literally made headlines around the globe. Did you see what happened? It wasn't about the win. It was about the fact that the fans were cleaning up after the win. And here's the honest truth, and I think you know this. We see this in the world around us all the time, that people are captivated. We are captivated by people who make a difference. This always gets our attention. Whenever we see people doing things out of the ordinary to help somebody else, to serve someone else, to, to go out of their way, to go above and beyond the call of duty, to help, to serve, to be selfless, any selfless act we see in society or in our world, we often draw attention to it because 
we just don't see that kind of behavior every day. And here's the truth of the matter, and I think you know this. Some of you are like this. Some of you, you're wired this way, and, and, and we love people like you. Some of you, you're not wired this way, but you work hard to be this way. You're the kind of people that do this. You're the kind of people that are always looking for ways to serve the people around you, to make the lives of the people around you better. You're, you're looking for opportunities to lend a helping hand and to, to pick up something or to open a door or to go get what is ever needed. And we love people like you. And the reason we love people like you is because we love to be around you. And it's not so much about how you serve us. It's just that when we're around you, you make us feel welcomed in your presence. You make us feel wanted. You make us feel valuable. Like there's something about when you serve, when you do something, when you help somebody else out, it just makes the other person feel good, feel wanted, feel accepted. We've all experienced this, and we love people like this. I've got friends like this, and I love spending time with them. They just just always see. They see it before I see it, what needs to happen. They they, they do it. It's just beautiful. I love it. And, 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 you know, this principle is true in church as well. Just, just think about it. Some of, you, some of you, this is your first time at Riverside today, so you can think about it through this lens. But for the rest of you, think about this. Think about a time when you went to visit a church for the first time. For a lot of you, that, it may have been a while because you, you come here every week, and you know, that's awesome. But think about a time, maybe you went to a church for the very first time. What was it about that experience that either made you feel welcome or maybe made you feel, feel unwelcome? There's a guy by the name of Tom Rainer. He's a former pastor, speaker, blogger, writer, author, does a lot of books. He's been a church consultant. Now he serves as the president of Lifeway. Earlier this year, he published a book, and the title of the book is is called Becoming a Welcoming Church. And a part of this research for the book, what he did was he surveyed hundreds of people to kind of get behind the curtain and see if he could figure out the answer to this question. Like, what happens if you go to a church for the very first time, you work up the courage? It takes courage, right? We have to remember this, especially those of us who come here every week. It takes a lot of bravery for someone to walk into this church, into this room for the very first time. What happens when someone goes to a church and never returns? And so we came up with a top 10 list, the top 10 reasons people do not return to a church based on survey information he gathered from people who had gone to churches for for the first time and for whatever reason, they didn't feel welcome and they didn't come back. And I thought you might just like to hear what some of these were. You want to hear this, these reasons? I think this is interesting. There you go. Top 10 reasons people did not, they went to a church, but they did not return. Number one, and I won't offer a lot of commentary. I'm just going to read these off to you. Number one, the stand and greet time during worship was unfriendly and awkward. Number two, the church members were friendly to each other, but not to us. Number three, the children's area appeared unsafe and unclean. Number four, there was no place to get information about the church. Number five, the church website was bad. Number six, They had poor signage, didn't know where to go. Number seven, they used insider language. In other words, when they got up to make their announcements and talk to the the church, they said things that people from outside just didn't even understand what they were talking about. Number eight, the worship time was bad or just plain boring. Number nine, members informed guests that they were sitting in their pew or chair. Ouch. Some of you can come forward at the end today. Number ten, The church facilities were dirty. 
Now, just think about that list for a minute and, and see if you can just pull one thread through all ten of those. You think about those reasons. People visited a church, were a guest at a church, but based on their experience, they decided never to return to that church. And you know how these stories go. Some people, because of their experience, never return to any church. See, a lot hangs in the balance when someone comes into a church or this church or any church for the first time in a long time. What's the common theme that runs through all ten of those? You could probably come up with different answers, but there's one that that sort of rises to the surface for me. It's just a simple fact that in all ten of those, you can see one thing emerge is that the focus of that church was on those who were in the church already. And we've talked about this before, that the gravitational pull of the local church is always towards the inside. And that what we can do if we're not careful, if we're not thinking, is we can, we can become really, like, 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 like one person said, they were really friendly to each other. In fact, Tom went back to interview these churches and he found that every single church thought they were really friendly churches and they were to each other but not to anybody else. They were really focused on those who were already inside, who were already apart. They got in their little pockets and they were really happy and content and and they just had that tunnel vision and they just didn't see. They were really friendly, just not to those who had come in for the first time. Well, in all fairness, he, he continued his research and he came up with another top 10 list talking to these people who did go to a church and actually returned to that church. So I thought you might like to see this. Just to, That's kind of a downer. Let me pick you back up a little bit. Top 10 reasons people did return to a church. All right? And see, not, not that Riverside, we get all these right, but just to hear some of these reasons. Here's the top 10 reasons people did return to a church. Number one, someone asked the guest to sit with her. You just never know what that's going to mean to someone who's here for the first time. To see them, to notice them, and then to invite them to sit with you, that was a big deal. Number one. Number two, people introduced themselves to the guest. Number three. There was clear signage. They knew where to go. They knew where stuff was. Number four, there was, clearly, there was a clearly marked welcome center. Number five, the kids loved the children's area. And number six, the children's area was clean and sanitary. Number seven, the guest parking was clearly visible. They knew where to park. They knew where to go in. Number eight, the church did not have a standing greet time. That was a big deal. Number nine, the members were not pushy. And number ten, the guest card was simple to complete. Isn't that really interesting? That based on this kind of experience, they felt welcomed and encouraged and invited to come back. Now, if you pull one thread, one common theme through those ten things, what kind of rises to the surface for you? For me, it's really simple. That kind of church, where was their focus? It wasn't on insiders. It was on outsiders. It was on making sure that those who were coming in for the very first time felt like they belonged. It wasn't awkward. It wasn't hard. It was easy to find their way around. People saw them. People noticed them. People welcomed. People talked to them. And because of those very simple things, they felt welcome. And they came back again and again and again. And for some of those people, that church became their church. And that's a really big deal. Okay, why don't I bring all this up? I bring all of this up because I think, well, first of all, I think it's very easy for those of us who have been at church and been at the same church for a long time, it's very easy. It's just being honest. It's very easy for me, for all of us, to lose our orientation. It's very easy for us to 
to, to just see each other and to see what's going on around here and if, for it not to matter anymore. You know, when you, when you walk into your house, if you've, got, if you've got a stack of stuff piled up on the table, you don't really see it anymore. If you've got clothes that need to be folded in the basket, they could sit there for a few days and nobody cares. Stuff can kind of pile up, stuff can kind of add up. And, and because it's your home, you, you don't really worry about it. But you know what happens at our house? When someone's coming over, what happens? We begin to see all that stuff. We see the clutter. We see what needs to be cleaned. We see what needs to be picked up. And we try to make it better. Because when guests come into our home, we want them to, to feel invited and welcome and warm and like, you know, like, like we expected them to show up. Same thing happens at church. So many times if we've been here very long, we don't, we don't see things the way we used to see things. That's why when people come, one of the best things we can do is just ask them, what do you see? Like we can't see anymore what you see. Help us see what you see. Help us see the areas that we need to fix or make better or improve just so when you come in it feels nice and warm and welcome and, and you feel like you belong and like, like, like you're wanted here. How, how do we make it feel like, like, like this is a place where we were expecting you to show up? One of the things I love most about this church is we're always looking for ways to, to make it better. And again, we're not there yet and we wouldn't score out, you know, 100% on any test, but we're always looking to make things better. That's why we've endured, you know, three weeks now of construction. And hopefully next week, by the way, this will all be beautiful and fixed and up and running, fingers crossed. You know, there's a chance it wouldn't work out, but you know, we're hoping next week is the week, right? I love that about us. We're always looking to make it better. This is important because from the very beginning of the church, what was the focus of the church? You know the answer to this question. The church was the place where everyone was welcome to come and to experience life together and to experience God together. And Peter, we've been talking a lot about Peter these past few weeks. Peter, who did life with Jesus for three years. Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus. Peter, who was a learner of Jesus. Peter, who, 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 who heard all that Jesus said, who got to experience all of his teaching and see all that he did, to see the way he loved and served and gave and sacrificed for three years, day in and day out. Peter, after Jesus has died and, and was buried and was resurrected, Peter went on because he had been forgiven and recommissioned by Jesus to go and to share the news of God. God's great love. Peter wrote to the early church, and I want to share with you again something that Peter wrote to the early church, telling them that this, based on my life with Jesus, based on what I saw Jesus do and what I heard Jesus say, I want to tell you, this is what life is supposed to be like in our house. In the house that God is building, he is the master builder. In the house where Jesus Christ is the living cornerstone, he is the foundation. In the house where we are all the living stones that God is putting together. This is what life is supposed to be like in our house. So he wrote this, this letter, we call it 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter 4, verse 7, I just want to share with you a few things that Peter said about what life is supposed to be like in our house. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 goes like this. Peter said, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Peter said, the end of the world is coming, and you're like, that didn't happen, Peter. <laughs> you know, it's been about 2,000 years since you wrote this, and the world's still, you know, kicking along here. What, what were you thinking? And I don't think Peter thought that the world was about to end tomorrow. That's not what he's saying. Peter knew because Peter had been with Jesus. Peter had heard Jesus say 
that really only God the Father knows when the end of time is going to be. No one else knows but God the Father. Peter had heard Jesus say that, that, that the end wouldn't come, that he wouldn't return until the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. That hadn't happened yet. Peter had heard Jesus say that the end of the world wouldn't come until the gospel had been preached in every nation. And although the gospel was spreading like wildfire literally around the world at this moment in time, it had not gone completely around the globe yet. Peter knew that, that, that the world wasn't going to end tomorrow, but he was talking to a group of believers this, this early church that was coming together in, in, in what we call modern-day Turkey, people were coming from all different backgrounds, all different beliefs, all different languages, all different skin colors, and they were all coming and they were united around one thing, the identity of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they were living in a day and time where it was not easy to be a follower of Jesus. There was evil, real evil in the world around them. They were being persecuted because of their belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So he says, hey, this is how we need to live in a world that is coming to an end. This is how we live as believers in Jesus when we know there is more to this life. And here's how we live. We pray and we love. We pray and we love. We pray and we love. This is the rhythm of life. In the life, the church, in the life of believers, we pray and we love. Why? We pray for each other because we know what each other is going through. Because this is what life is like in our house. And we love because love covers a multitude of sins. And we love that verse because we know that it's true. We know that it's just practically true. That, that, that I know that, that, that if, you love, if you love me, if you really love me, then nine times out of ten, you're going to give me the benefit of the doubt, even when I'm wrong. And you know that if I love you, then no matter what you do, I'm probably going to forgive you pretty quickly. Because love, real love, this kind of love, love covers a multitude of sins. And this is why we have to, what did Peter say? Continue to show Deep love for each other. Grow in your love for each other. This matters so much. And it's work. Any of you that that grow plants or grow a garden, you know it's work to cultivate the soil, to water it, to to pull the weeds. All that takes work and energy and effort. And relationships are the same way. We have to grow. We have to continue the practice of loving each other because that kind of love, it covers a multitude of sins. You know what happens to a plant? If you don't water it, If you don't fertilize it, if you don't care about it, it dies. The same is true in relationships. Peter says this is the rhythm of the life of the believer. This is the rhythm of the life in the house that God is building. We pray and we love. We pray and we love. But it's not just that. He says cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. In your translation, it may use the actual word hospitality there, which in the literal language, it means be friendly to strangers. And just think about this. The first church, they didn't have a church building like this. They literally met in homes. They literally met in a house. 
And what Peter is saying is welcome strangers into your house. Welcome strangers into your house church. Welcome strangers into where you live and share with them your home. Share with them food. Share with them drink. Do life with them. Share life with them. This is what it means to be friendly to strangers. To literally, Peter says right here, welcome strangers into your house. This is what it means for those of us who call Jesus Lord to do life in our house. This is what we do. We show hospitality. We are literally friendly to strangers. Whatever is different about us, it doesn't separate us. And this, by the way, is what makes us different. What makes us different is not what's different about us. What makes us different is that we come together despite our differences around the united belief that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And then he says this, God, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So use them to serve one another. And this is where maybe, maybe we've just forgotten. Some of us think that the gifts we have, like we figured it out. We cultivated it. We got really good at it. It's ours. We did it. Peter says, no, 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 no. Don't forget this. Whatever gift you have, whatever talent you have, whatever ability you have, it came from God. And God didn't gift you. He didn't gift you so that, so that you could be famous He didn't gift you so you could get rich. He didn't gift you so you could be special. He gave you a gift so that you could be a gift to others. Whatever gift you have, it's for the benefit of others. That's why God gifted you. He gifted you so that you could use that gift to benefit those around you. Use the gifts that God has given you to serve one another. So Peter says, do you have the gift of speaking? Can you do that? Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking right through you. And some of you know this week there are people in your life, you you can't remember the last time you saw them smile. You don't know the last time you heard them laugh. It's been a day, a week, a year. Who knows? And they need someone to come alongside them and speak life into them. And maybe, just maybe, this is what God wants to do in you and through you, is use you to speak life into them. Peter says, do you, can, can you go and do that? Can you go and speak life into someone else? Do it as if God is literally speaking through you. Or this, do you have the gift of helping others? Can you do that? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do this week is ask someone the question, how can I help? How can I help? How can I come alongside you? How can I help you? And when you do that, God is going to give you all the strength and energy that you need. And when you do that, when you use the words God has given you to speak life into someone, when you use uh, the abilities God has given you to help others, to serve those around you, well, this is literally what makes us different. Nobody else does this. We are called to this. And, And just to take a quick time out, I think this is really important to think about. Because we don't need, at Riverside, we don't need more volunteers. We don't. You know what volunteers do? Volunteers may or may not sign up, and volunteers may or may not show up. We don't need volunteers. What we need, according to Peter, are difference makers. People who will rise up with the gifts and abilities that God has given them to serve those around them. 
And in fact, what I would love to do at Riverside is just stop even using the word volunteer because I don't know anywhere in the world where that word even works. In the church, what we're being called to is something entirely different. We're being called to rise up and use the talents and abilities God has given us to speak life into others and to help those around us. And what is really amazing about this church, and and I'm sure it's true of a lot of churches, but I see it here every week, is this church is full of difference makers. Over the past few months, we've, we've celebrated and we've recognized some, some specific people who have, who have made incredible contributions to our church and our community and our world who are difference makers. But there's, there's a truth also under that that so many of you, there are people who make coffee every week. They are difference makers. Can I get an amen? There are pe- yeah, you are my people. There are people who stand in our foyer and they greet people every week. And they are the first interaction that some people have when they walk in this building. And when they see that smile and that friendly face, they make a difference. There are people in this church who every week they prepare communion or they, they serve communion. There are people in this church who teach our children about the amazing love of God. And they show up every single week to do that. This church is full of people, and they are not volunteers. I know volunteers. They may or may not sign up, and they may or may not show up. Difference makers, they are called to do a whole different thing. They allow the Spirit of God to rise up within them, to serve those around them, and to share the love of Jesus with others. And I think that's exactly what Peter is talking about here. This is what we're called to be people that speak life and people that offer help to those around us to literally serve those around us. And he says this, when you do that, he says, then everything you do, when you speak life, when you offer help, when you use the gifts God has given you to serve those around you, then everything you do, everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. And this is so different. In a me-centric world, in a me-centric culture, when we live other-centered lives, it is different. And get this, in a me-centric church, to be an other-centered church, let me tell you, it's different. So who needs you? Who needs you to be a difference maker in their life? Because my guess is that God is using you and positioning you to speak life and to offer help to someone. A few weeks ago, I told you the story about the wild boar soccer team. You know the story. It happened this summer. Uh, The soccer team, along with their coach, went into this cave in the northern area of the Shangri-La province of Thailand. They went exploring and monsoon rains came and they went deeper into the cave to try to find a way out and they couldn't. They end up over two miles deep in the cave and they're stuck. All of a sudden, people snap into action and an international rescue team has assembled. People from seven different countries are sent to be on site. And after being stranded in the cave for over two weeks, the boys, every one of them is rescued. Every one of them survived. But two, two people in that story really stood out to me. The first was the park ranger. I don't know if you remember this part of the story, but, but the way the story started was that a park ranger came upon the cave in the national park where it was located in the northern province of the Shangri-La you know, area there in Thailand and noticed these bicycles 
The park is closing, and there's bicycles, and there's soccer cleats, and there's backpacks, but there's no, there's no kids. There's no people. Where are they at? And so this park ranger makes the phone call. Hey, I've got a situation here. We've got bicycles. The park is closing. It's about that time. There's soccer cleats. There's backpacks, but I don't see anybody. I think whoever this belongs to, they might be in trouble. We need to get some people together to see if we can find these people. And that phone call, however that started, that began an international search and rescue team that resulted in the, the, literally the saving of every single boy and the soccer coach from that cave some two weeks later. You know what's interesting? Some of you are better at Google than I am, so maybe you can figure this out. I've read tons of articles. I've looked at, watched tons of videos. I have not found a single place where the name or the identity of that park ranger has been released. They're just, they're unnamed. It's an unnamed park ranger. I don't know who he, who he or she was who did that. And you might say, oh, they were just doing their job, you know. You might say, oh, it was just part of what they, what they would normally do on a uh, on a night when the park is closing. But my guess is that if you're the parent of one of those boys, that park ranger wasn't just doing their job. They're a flat-out hero. They are a difference maker in the truest sense of the term because they literally made a difference in the lives of their kids. Now, do you think if you were that park ranger that maybe, just maybe, because this story went viral all around the world, that you would go find a reporter, you would go find a media person, you'd go find one of those vans, one of those cameras, one of those people with a microphone, and say, hey, let me tell you what happened. I was the one that made the phone call. I, th- I saw the bikes first. And get their 15 minutes of fame. As far as I can tell, that never happened. This unnamed park ranger made a call that saved every life. And didn't want any credit or glory or accolades for it. The other person, we talked about this person, was 38-year-old Suman Kunan. Formerly, he had been a Navy SEAL, but he had moved on from that part of his life. But when he heard about what was going on, he came and he did volunteer. His time, his talent, his services, he, he knew how to do what needed to be done to help save the lives of, of the soccer team. So he, he offered his abilities, his training to, to, to do it all. And he, he went into the cave, and it was his job to, to line up oxygen tanks throughout the route so that the boys could make a safe exit from, from the tunnels, from the cave. You know what's interesting is he died from lack of oxygen. That decision to volunteer and to help save those lives cost him his life. And my guess is if you went and asked any of the parents of those boys about Suman Kunan, they would not call him a volunteer. They would call him a hero. They would call him a difference maker. You see, this is what difference makers do. They don't ask how much am I going to get paid for this. They don't ask how much credit I'm going to get for this. They just look for the places and spaces where they can serve, where they can help. And they make a difference. As Peter said, God has given each of you a gift from this great variety of spiritual gifts. So use them well. Use them well to serve one another. In other words, whatever you do, whatever you say, do it for the benefit of those around you. Whatever you say and do, do it all for the benefit of others. Church, if you would, let's stand together. You know what's interesting about that Japanese fan base in a soccer game? 
after the story went viral of, of them picking up trash in their blue trash bags all around the stadium, other fans from other teams started doing the same thing. I think that's really cool because I think that just makes the point. You know what difference makers do? Not only do they make a difference, but they, it's contagious. When they start doing that, other people start doing that. And what happens is you have more and more people who are joining in this grand mission of finding ways to make a difference in the lives of other people and to serve those around you. And that's really my hope for us. And it's already true, but I want it to keep becoming even more true. Because what would you rather be a part of? A church where a few paid staff do everything that they can do to provide a great experience for you on a Sunday to come and to be a part of a church experience? Or would you rather be a part of a church where every member knows that they have a job and they have a role to play? And that in this house, every member matters. In this house, Every person is important. Every, every person has a way to contribute. Every person has a place to serve. Everybody has a job. They're, they're, everybody in the house has a role to play. You know, I think Peter witnessed Jesus, the greatest person who literally ever lived, over and over again. Go above and beyond to teach when he was tired to show up when he would rather pull back, to get down on one knee and minister to the person whose life was falling apart. Never once did he say, I don't have time. Over and over again, he gave of himself. He spoke life into people, and he looked for ways to serve those around him so that they would know this, that there is a God who sees you, who loves you, and who welcomes you into his presence. And then Peter said, Peter said, when you speak life and when you show love, what you do is you communicate to those around you that there is a God who loves them. And no matter what they've done or where they've come from, they too are welcome in his presence. That's what happens when you and I get this. When we give our life away for the sake of others, for the sake of Christ. Let's sing.